Wonderful job. We are so blessed with wonderful young people, and uh, we are just so thankful every time we see the contributions our young men and our young women are making for the good of this congregation. Bringing friends to church, participating, you know, Dayton, uh, that may have been the first time he read scripture in worship, but he's already preached at least once on a Wednesday night, so we're, we're grateful for that talent being used. Somebody said as I was going to my seat, uh, speech, uh, and I think it would be unfair for me to say too much because uh, Hiram uh, missed his chance this morning. And I, I just want to say, and he can contradict me, uh, but I don't think he will, that it is a blessing every day to be a part of this church. We're talking about the church and it being a body, and a body has a heartbeat. And we think about the heartbeats that have become a part of the work here at Lehman, a part of the body of Christ this year. We thank God for that, whether it be through birth, or through baptism, or through folks placing membership. We also realize that a body, in its many heartbeats, takes notice when there's a beat missing. And we know that as we reach the end of this year, that there are some we began this year with that we will not end this year on this side of time with. But we anticipate seeing forever someday. And we think about the fact that our head is the one who controls the heart, or should, And we thank God for our Lord and Savior, to whom all glory belongs. I appreciate how I hear that so often in announcements that are made and things that we talk about with regard to the future. It's all for His glory. The project that's taking place just a little east of here, uh, a parallel to to the interstate, that's for God's glory, not for ours. Every person that places membership, that's to God's glory, every baptism. And so let's keep our focus on the head of the wonderful body here. When the doors were open back there, I thought about in 1982, my uh, dad was preaching in Franklin, Georgia. I don't know if any of y'all remember James Watkins, great gospel preacher in this part of the country for many decades. Uh, I was leading singing that day. It was in the middle of the summer, and the side doors were open. Uh, The air conditioners had gone out just in time for the gospel meeting, and so he was preaching, and I was leading singing. And I was standing behind the podium, and, and when the opening prayer was prayed, it was a smaller congregation, the person was praying from the pew, and I stood right where I was, and a horsefly found the back of my leg during the prayer. And unlike wasps, horseflies can continue to bite. And not as a 12-year-old knowing what I should do, I tried to just endure that as long as I could. And the prayer man went on just a little bit too long, and so finally... He thought that maybe a little charismatic had broken out there, a big slap on the back of the leg, and the trauma was over. I realize, and I may have mentioned this before, that the mind can absorb only so much as the seat can endure. That being the case, I know we have just fed you, and your stomach is full, and the blood is working on digestion, and it's a little warm in this building, and so we're going to get down to business. Einstein was on his way from Princeton to a speaking engagement. And it was in the days of trains, riding on the train. The train conductor came into the car, and he was going around punching the tickets of all the customers. And as he got to Einstein, he asked for his ticket. Einstein reached coat and pants, and he could not produce the ticket. But the conductor said, Mr. Einstein, don't worry about it. I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. He was getting to the end of the car, the conductor was, about to leave when he turned back and he noticed that Einstein was on his hands and knees searching. And so he rushed back to reassure him. 
And when he got there again, he said, Mr. Einstein, don't worry about it. We know who you are. Einstein said, young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. (laughs) You know, I think that's true in a spiritual sense, isn't it, for a lot of people. We don't know where we're going. And that's really a sobering thought when we think in a spiritual sense because we are going to the most important destination of all, and that's eternity. And for those who do not have proper guidance, who are not prepared for that journey, it's into a place more dark than they even can imagine. And so preparation is important. We need to know where we're going. I perhaps have said before, but the best lectureship I ever attended was at my freshman year at Faulkner University. And the the theme of that entire lectureship was Blessed Assurance. And Wendell Winkler was the director of that lectureship. And he had the novel idea that all of the speakers would be in their 60s or above. Individuals who had lived life and had seen the ups and downs of living the Christian life and really could speak from experience on the blessed assurance we have in Christ. To this day, my, one of the most favorite lessons I ever heard was there. It was uh, by Hardeman Nichols, one of the sons of Gus Nichols, the great gospel preacher. And Hardeman Nichols had the assignment, Romans chapter 8, the high water mark of assurance in the New Testament. And in the course of giving that lesson, Brother Nichols talked about a visit that he had made to his father in 1975. His father, Gus Nichols, lay in a hospital bed in Birmingham, Alabama. And as he lay on his deathbed, he asked his son to read Romans chapter 8. One of the greatest gospel preachers of modern times. And this is what he wanted read as he was about to leave this earth. I wonder why. Maybe it was because he needed to be reminded about where he was going. You know, the Apostle Paul leading up to Romans chapter 8 has been talking about the great struggle with sin that we all share. The ups and downs of our spiritual lives because of the presence of sin and because of the weakness of our flesh. And it's masterful what the inspired writer does. God through him takes the focus off of us and puts it on him. And in so doing, he gives us a great treatise on blessed assurance. When we think about the life that we get to live as children of God, it is a life that is meant to be lived with blessed assurance. All I want to accomplish in just a few minutes this afternoon is I'd like for us to see three reasons why from Romans chapter 8 we have such blessed assurance. Number one, we have blessed assurance because the source is God. Now it's incredible to read in a book of the Bible and one of the ways you can tell what a book is about is by looking at the words that are repeated over and over again. And when you come to the book of Romans, it is a 16 chapter book, the longest of the epistles and yet when you begin to drill down you see how often God is mentioned in the book of Romans. If you take note, if you were to go through and to do an examination of the key words, you would find the name God mentioned 151 times. Christ, the name for the Messiah, the anointed one, God's chosen answer to our sin problem. Christ is mentioned 66 times. Jesus, that is identifying for us in its human form, the one who came in the flesh, the Savior of our sins, Matthew 1, verse 21 through 23. You'll find his name 36 times in the book of Romans. 28 times you will come across the name Father referring to God. 
And 28 times you'll come across spirit when referring to the Holy Spirit of God. But then you look at Romans chapter 8. And in our immediate context, you see the same thing taking place. You see the emphasis that is placed on God. As you see God mentioned 17 times. You see Christ mentioned nine times. You see Jesus three times. Son, three, uh, uh, four times. And you have Father and Spirit mentioned 14 times. Half of the references in the entire letter to God the Spirit is right here in this particular chapter. And whenever we come to a text and we see such an emphasis, we need to ask ourselves, what is the writer trying to do? And what we see here as we talk about blessed assurance throughout Romans chapter 8 is how much we stand on the foundation of God in order to feel assured. Remember, the great apostle Paul has talked about how inadequate he felt in his own spiritual life. When he was looking at himself, he would say, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so as we look at the blessed assurance that comes through God, you'll notice at least three things in this chapter. You'll notice, first of all, it's blessed, we're blessed, by being in Christ Jesus. As Paul sets out in this particular chapter, he says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I think about the book of Ephesians and how it starts out. And Ephesians 1 and verse 3 says that all spiritual blessings and heavenly places are in Christ. This is far from exhaustive. I want you to see how Paul is reminding us that there is such blessed assurance that we don't have to be concerned or worried if we are in Christ Jesus. That first of all, as we've already said, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Contrast that earlier in the letter when he talks about the condemnation that comes when we're not in Christ Jesus. In Romans 5, 15-18, as the transgression is, so also is the, tr- the justification. Paul tells us what the problem is. The problem is transgression. That means wrongdoing, sin, offense against God. And he tells us what results as a a consequence of the transgression, and that's judgment. That is a judicial pronouncement against someone. And he speaks of the consequences of that in two ways. It leads to death and condemnation. The Apostle Paul is painting for us the dire picture that occurs when we are not in Christ. In the letter to the Romans, Paul is going to talk about what it means to face judgment without Jesus Christ. He says that the, the, uh, everyone is going to stand before the judgment seat of God, Romans 14 and verse 10. He is going to judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 2 and verse 16. And that judgment is going to be a day of wrath upon the ungodly, Romans chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Elsewhere, we see how Scripture speaks to us and says that the, the fruit of being at the judgment outside of Christ is eternal punishment. Matthew 25 and verse 46, it's a day of terrifying expectation. Hebrews 10 verse 27, it is a day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. 2 Peter 3 and verse 7, but contrast that. That in Christ Jesus... I don't have to face punishment in the judgment because of my transgressions because I am in Christ. 
There is an emphasis here that I have blessed assurance because in Christ there is no condemnation. And you know, we really could just stop the lesson right there and that one blessing would be sufficient. But there's more in this immediate context that we are blessed in Christ to have a a life. He talks about this spiritual life that's possible in Him, that we are delivered from death as we've already seen. It's a life that he has identified early on as eternal life. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 7. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 22. It is a life that we can have. It's a life of peace. Verse 6. It's a life because of righteousness. Verse 10. It is a life that we can have even after our mortal bodies have died. Verse 11. And so he came, even though death is the sentence, that we might have life and have it more abundantly, John chapter 10 and verse 10. And so Paul says that there's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Another blessing in Christ is freedom. You know, one of the key concepts in the book of Romans is law. It's found 90 times. And Paul uses law in multiple ways. He talks about the law of Moses or any other physical law whereby we might try to justify ourselves and be saved. And he says we can't do that because of the law of sin and death. The antidote to that law that we are enslaved to is the freedom that comes by being in Christ. I encourage you right now, as it was mentioned this morning, I appreciate David's emphasis on our Bible school program. We're going to frustrate you with all the great choices that you're going to have in Bible class. You have a great class in the auditorium on the fundamentals of the faith, but Hiram is going to be dealing in the book of Romans uh, this particular quarter, and so we can fill our cup in all those different ways. But in Romans, you're going to look and see how these great concepts come together. But today I want you to see... That there is blessed assurance because the source is God. And there's the blessed assurance of being in Christ. But that's only one personality of the Godhead. I want you to notice that there's also the fact that there's blessed assurance from the source of God because the Spirit of God is in us. Now, good brethren have been divided over just how the Spirit indwells the Christian There are those who believe, as I do, that the Spirit personally indwells us. There are others who believe that the Spirit dwells in us representatively through the Word. But one thing that good brethren have been united on for many years is that the Spirit of God, however He dwells in us, indwells the Christian. And that is meant to be a blessed assurance for us. Now twice the Apostle Paul is going to affirm that God's Spirit is in us. And it's going to be mentioned a total of 16 times in the New Testament. You're going to find it in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, and in 2 Timothy. So whether we believe that He is in us through the Word alone, or if He is actually in us, what a blessing it is to know that the Spirit of God comes to live within the child of God to help us as we live the Christian life. And attached to that blessing, He mentions some of the blessings that come. That we have identity. When the Spirit of God is in us, we know we belong to Him. And in light of all that we get in Christ, aren't we thankful to know that the Spirit is in us and identifies us with God? And then there's the the help that we get when God's Spirit is, is in us. He testifies with our spirit, verse 16. He helps us in our weakness. 
We've mentioned before that never, even in New Testament times, did the Spirit of God operate on the heart of a person to make them do right or to keep them from doing wrong. God communicated and expressed Himself through the Spirit in the Word of God as He does through the Bible today. But what I see here is that with the Spirit being in me, it gives me blessed assurance to help me in living the Christian life. And so I see the blessed assurance is because the source is God. That that This is a blessing if I am in Christ, if the Spirit is in me, but also in knowing that God is for me. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 31. Because God is for me, He proved it by sending His own Son. Verse 3. Because God is for me, He demonstrated that by justifying me. By making me right in His sight, verse 33, because God is for me, He loves me with a love that cannot be matched, it cannot be surpassed. Verse 39, the only thing that can keep me from the love of God is me, myself. And so as I look at the Godhead as He is revealed to us in Romans chapter 8, He gives me blessed assurance. Because of all that I get by being in Christ, all that I get with Christ being in me, And all that I can anticipate and appreciate because God is for me. You know, they say that one of the most desired musical instruments in the world is a Stradivarius violin. I don't know how much you've ever looked into that. They say at auction, they still can very easily draw millions of dollars, one of his creations. But what people don't understand is how Stradivarius made his violins. He made it from discarded lumber. Did you know that? Stradivarius was very poor. And so he could not afford the materials that his contemporaries could make their violins from. And so as Stradivarius went to make his violins, he took it from the lumber, the dirty lumber down at the harbors where he lived. He would take them home to his shop, he would clean them up, and then he would create violins that were beautiful to behold. Microbes in that waterlogged wood would eat out the center of that wood and it would create unique resonating chambers. And so out of wood that nobody wanted, Stradivarius made violins that anyone would want. I suggest to you this afternoon that that's exactly how Paul is depicting you and I and our relationship with God in Romans chapter 8. God takes you and me wretched and dirty with sin, and he makes us into something that he would look at among all his creation and he would say that we are his greatest treasure. Blessed assurance. Why? Because the source is God. The second reason why there's blessed assurance from Romans chapter 8 is that even though we're in a battle, it's a battle that we can win. I'm not going to spend a whole long time on this, but what I want you to observe in Romans chapter 8 is that there are several contrasts that are made. Paul sets those apart to show us what the life outside of Christ looks like and the life for the child of God in Christ and what that looks like. One of the contrasts is a contrast between flesh and spirit. The flesh speaks to the body, the weakness. It's hostile against God. It's weak. It's contrary to God. It's sinful. And the spirit. The mind that is on the flesh, or that is set on the flesh, minds the things of the flesh. Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. And this sends me back in my thinking to the earlier part of Paul's letter when he walks through a catalog of sin, of unrighteousness, of unbelief, and sins that just, we look at it and we say, there's no more comprehensive list in the New Testament. 
that God gives people over to do those kinds of things and they know in the righteousness and the judgment of God that those who do these things are worthy of death not only do them but take pleasure in them that do those things. The Apostle Paul gives that list and when I read it I can't help but think that the things that our world struggles with today there it is in Romans chapter 1. But then frankly I begin to think about in the church, the things that we struggle with, they're things that are found throughout that list in Romans chapter 1. But more than that, I look at my own life and I realize that the things that I struggle with in my flesh are the very things that the Apostle Paul writes about in Romans chapter 1. And so we, we wonder, how are we delivered from this? This is such a great battle. How can we win that? And Paul tells us in Romans 8, It's by being spiritually minded. We've already talked about the role that the Spirit plays. It's His law, verse 2. It's His way, verse 5. It's His power, verse 13 and 14. He shows me that to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The contrast is also between death and life. Now God lets us choose. Moses in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19 says, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, only choose life. But what Paul says is that I can die to sin and to be alive in him. This is a battle not to be dead spiritually. And I do that by being alive, dying to self, and living through Christ. Another contrast that we see there is between suffering and glory. And what Paul says there in the middle of Romans chapter 8 is that there is going to be some suffering in this life. He says, if children then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we might be glorified together. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Romans 8, 17 and 18. When I think about how things are now, I'm reminded of the suffering and the struggle of being in this body on this earth. You know, each day that we live, and the longer we're here, the more we're reminded of our mortality. The more we realize that the uh, appointment that we have with death is more certain. The Apostle Paul says, how do you face that? How do you overcome in the midst of that? It's by realizing that whatever you have to go through here is not worthy to be compared with what he has prepared for you there. And so he says in 2 Peter 3 and verse 13, According to the promise of God, we await new heavens and new earth wherein righteousness dwells. We see a connection here between the creation and us. It longs to be set free, and so do we. There's a battle that we face every day with our flesh, but God has equipped us to be equal with that with His Spirit. There is an inevitability that we're going to die physically, but we can combat spiritual death through the life that Christ gives us, and we're going to suffer inevitably in this life. But if we can survive the suffering through Christ, there is a glory that we can't imagine that awaits us on the other side, and it gives me blessed assurance. The third reason why there's blessed assurance from Romans chapter 8 is that God wants me to win. I don't know how we conceive of that. So often we think that God is looking with a judicious eye and is expecting that we're going to fall and fail. He knows that we're going to. Paul devotes himself to that in Romans chapter 3, that we're going to struggle, we're going to sin, we're going to be inadequate. But what we need to remind ourselves of, and it will give us blessed assurance, is that God wants us to win. In fact, look at the the three want-tos in Romans chapter 8. God wants us to be in His family. He wants to adopt us. God wants to be our Father. He wants us to be His children. 
He gives us a name that we can live up to. That we have a brother, a joint heir, that it encourages us as we see that fact. And so we realize as we look at the fact that he's for us, that he wants to adopt us, he also wants to save us. And this is a beautiful fact. We're not only foreknown by him, but those that he foreknew, then he also justified. And whom he justified, then he also glorified. We wait for redemption. We wait in hope. The hope of the fact that God wants us saved. When we stand before him in the judgment, he wants us to be on the right side. He wants to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And he wants to love us in a relationship that's unhindered. You know, there are five questions as you start to round the end of Romans chapter 8 that are very noteworthy. Those five questions that we see is, if God is for us, who can be against us? How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who is he that condemns? Who shall separate us from the love of God? Now that question in verse 32, by the way, all of them are rhetorical questions. The answer to the question in verse 32 is he will. But the answer to those other four questions is all the same. No one. Who will lay anything to the charge of you as a child of God if you're in Christ Jesus? No one. Who is he that condemns? No one. Who can separate you from the love of God? No one. And friends, that gives us blessed assurance. Stefan and Erica Swanstrom meticulously planned out their honeymoon. I I can't imagine having the funds to be able to plan a honeymoon like this, but it was going to be an incredible, almost round-the-world kind of an experience. And so they, as a Swedish couple, began in Europe, but they were grounded their plane because of a historic snowstorm. When they were finally able to get out of the snowstorm, they were heading down under. And so uh, their first stop was to Cairns, Australia. And as they got to Cairns, they braced for a cyclone and they had to spend more than a day in public shelters. Well, they got out of Cairns and they went to Brisbane. And when they got to Brisbane, they found that the city was underwater in historic flooding. So they thought they needed to get to a drier part of Australia. So they went to Perth and they dodged wildfires all over the place. They decided it was time to leave Australia. They went to New Zealand They got there just in the wake of a 6.5 earthquake. Well, they decided then to go on to Bali, and they braced for a cyclone. They went to to Tokyo. First two days were great. And then there was one of the worst earthquakes in modern history. It spawned a, a monstrous tsunami and almost caused a nuclear disaster. Surprisingly, the Swanstroms escaped their honeymoon without injury. And then as they were talking to reporters, Erica said, at least we are fortunate when it comes to love. You know, when I think about the fact that we're not going to get through this life without our scars, without our difficulties, without our hurts, we're going to face some great challenges. Maybe they're caused because of us, because of our weakness. Or maybe they're caused because of the suffering that's inevitable as being a part of this life. And you may have more than you think is your share of difficulties in this life. At least you can say you are blessed, more than fortunate, when it comes to love. Paul ends this great chapter on blessed assurance by telling us 
that the love of God is greater than any force on this earth. He wants us to be assured. He wants us to realize that this is not something that can pass or fade away because He is the source of it. That because Jesus came and lived in this flesh, He through death destroyed Him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He knows what a battle it is, and He won the battle. And because He did, He says you can win it too, the struggles that you face in this life. And not only that, when you look at your life, you can realize that God is rooting for you. He is cheering you on with that great cloud of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 wanting you to cross the finish line successfully. That assures us. You know, of all the places, surely Acts is a a place we can go to see how one gets in Christ Jesus. But outside of that, perhaps the book of Romans is most comprehensive in telling us how that occurs. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, at the heart of the message of Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And then Paul tells us what's involved in that belief. Romans 6 and verse 17, But God be thanked that you were the slaves of sin, but you obeyed from the heart that form of teaching that was delivered unto you. And being made free from death, you became the slaves of righteousness. Romans 6 and verse 17. He says, Romans 10 and verse 10, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And in Romans 6, 3 and 4, he says, we are buried with him by baptism into death. Like as Christ was raised from the dead, even so we also should rise to walk in newness of life. And remember the book of Romans is written to Christians. And the message is that When you are in Christ, having been united with him in baptism, you can make it. And he wants you to. I don't know what challenges you're going to face as you go into this week. I don't know what burdens you're carrying, what memories are weighing you down. Realize that God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? Maybe that you need to respond to this invitation this afternoon. Heaven's invitation. We would urge you to come if you're subject right now as we stand and sing.